0: Welcome to the Birmingham Vineyard podcast. We hope you find it insightful and encouraging. If you want to find out more about us, head to our website, birminghamvineyard.com. Hi, guys. Morning, morning, morning. Lovely to be up here again. Okay, so, Judges. What a fascinating book, hey? Um, Essentially, as um, Pastor Poi pointed out to us um, a couple of weeks ago, it's a story of Israel's moral dissent about them stepping out of the covenant that God had formed with them, falling into compromise, idol worship, and the terrible consequences of that. And along the way, we see these judges appointed through whom God works and helps to bring about some temporary redemption for the Israelites, but ultimately they just don't learn their lessons. And last week, uh, we heard Ian talking about Ehud. Yes. And that was a challenging story wasn't it about God bringing freedom to the Israelites through an unexpected left-handed leader and um, and now we come to Deborah a woman such I know such an amazing strong woman of God in Judges 5 7 she calls herself a mother in Israel she says villagers in Israel would not fight They held back until I, Deborah, arose, until I arose, a mother in Israel. Now, mothers can be pretty awesome. They can also be very much underestimated. But, you know, we should be wary of doing that. You know, I remember being both intrigued and challenged by a story that was in the news when my sons were very little about 30 years ago. The story occurred in France and a lion had escaped from a zoo or a, a traveling circus or something. I'm not sure which, but the result was is this the lion was in an urban area and had cornered a little boy. And his mother saw the situation from her kitchen window, grabbed what she had to hand, maybe in a rolling pin, and she rushed out to protect her child. Now, the result of what ensued, was that the little boy was absolutely fine. He was unharmed. But the lion, the lion had to be treated by a vet for head injuries and shock. (laughs) I know, right? And I remember thinking at the time, whoa. I thought, what would I do to protect my children? You know, there's a fierceness in mothers. And I was surprised by the strength of feeling that those thoughts gave rise to. You know, the thoughts of my babies being threatened if I were honest with myself, although I know that Jesus does not condone violence. I genuinely felt I couldn't guarantee the length that I would go to in order to protect them. So in Judges 4 and 5, we have Deborah, a self-proclaimed mother in Israel. Now, we're not told if she actually had children that she had physically given birth to, but we do know that she's a woman who sees the nation of Israel as her children and she sees them being cruelly oppressed. So let's have a read and see how that goes. The full scripture is going to come up on the screen, but I am going to paraphrase it a little bit because it is quite long. So it says this, Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Now that Ehud was dead, so the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin, king of Canaan. Sisera, the commander of his army, had 900 chariots fitted with iron and had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years. So they cried out to the Lord for help. Now Deborah, a prophet, the wife of Lapidus, was leading Israel at that time. She held court and the Israelites went up to her to have their disputes decided she sent for Barak from Kadesh and said to him, "The Lord, the God of Israel commands you. Go, take with you 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulun and lead them up to Mount Table. I will lead Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army and with his chariots and his troops, to the Kishon River, and give him into your hands." Barak said to her, "If you go with me, I will go, but if you don't go with me, I won't go. Well certainly. Certainly I'll go with you, said Deborah, but because of the course you're taking, the honour will not be yours, for the Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh. There Barak summoned up 10,000 men and Deborah also went up with him. Now, this seems like an odd detail coming up, but bear with us. Heba, the Kenite, had left the other Kenites and had moved, he'd pitched his tent to a great tree near Kadesh. When they told Sisera that Barak had gone up to Mount T- Table, Sisera summoned all his men and his 900 chariots fitted with iron. Then Deborah said to Barak, Go, this is the day the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? So Barak went down the Mount Table with 10,000 men following him. And at Barak's advance, the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and army by the sword. And Sisera got down from his chariot and fled on foot. Barak pursued the chariot, chariots and army and all Sisera's troops fell by the sword and not a man was left. Sisera meanwhile, fled on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heba the Kenite. Do you remember, he'd moved his tent to the right, in the right place at the right time because there was an alliance between King Jabin and the family of Heber. Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, come in, my lord, come right in, don't be afraid. So he entered her tent and she covered him with a blanket. I'm thirsty, he said, please just give me some water. And she opened a skin of milk and gave him a drink and covered him up. Stand in the doorway, he told her. If someone comes by and asks you, is anyone in there? Just say no. But Jael picked up a tent peg and a hammer and went quietly to him while he lay fast asleep, exhausted. And she drove the peg through his temple into the ground and he died. Just then, Barrett came by in pursuit of Cesera and Jael went out to meet him. Come, she said. I'll show you the man you're looking for. So he went in with her. And there lay Caesarea with the tent peg through his temple, dead. And on that day, God subdued Jabin, king of Canaan, before the Israelites. Wow. What a story. Such a violent end for cruel Caesarea. And we're definitely going to come back round to that. Don't you worry. But here we have a story where Israel is saved through the initiative of two women, Deborah and Jael. Two proactive women who took the fight against evil oppression, took it on and won. So let's look at Deborah first. Now, the first thing that we learn about her in that scripture is that she's a prophet, the wife of Lapidoth and a leader. Before we move on to her primary role, her primary role as a prophet, it's worth briefly commenting on her husband. One thing that strikes me about this is that Lapidoth must have wholly Supported and released his wife to be taking on such an important role in, in Israel, in such an ancient patriarchal society. Surely, without the blessing and support of Lapidos, Deborah would have been unable to fulfill her calling and leadership. And it's so important for men to recognize the strengths of the women around them, and rather than feeling threatened by that, to support them and release them to fulfill their kingdom calling. So Deborah was a a mother and she was a wife and she was, of course, most importantly, a prophet. So as an Old Testament prophet, she was the mouthpiece of God, a very serious calling. She obediently had been using her gifts to bring justice to all these internal tribal disputes. So God then uses her to bring justice to the whole nation. As a spiritual mother, she must have felt heartbroken at the oppression of her children as a prophet, she understood the season they were in, and God used her to raise up his armies at the right time, in the right place in order that the enemies would be delivered and Israel uh, would be defeated and Israel delivered. Notice that Deborah speaks the word of God in the first person. There's no, I think he might be saying, um, this is the Old Testament. Not everybody could prophesy at that time. It was a specific anointing for a specific person for a specific time. Um, It was for those through whom God chose to bring about change. New Testament prophecy is a whole different thing. Since Pentecost, we live in a time where, as Joel promised, God's spirit is poured out on all people. So when we prophesy now, it needs to be weighed. But when an Old Testament prophet speaks, you'd be wise to act. And Barak does exactly what she says. So, sorry, my iPad's playing up and it's just, take me right back to the top. So Deborah is a a, a woman in in a patriarchal world. And unusually, she has all this power and authority. She has at least 10,000 men at her disposal. And yet, she never takes the glory herself. Indeed, what she consistently does is attribute the victory to the Lord. When she delivers her prophetic words to Barak in verse 7, Barak refuses to go to war with her. Now, we could see this in two different ways. We could say, hmm, could look at Barak and think, well, what, you need a woman to hold your hand to go to war? That doesn't really sound too brave, Barak. But remember that Deborah, the prophet, has been bringing the word of God to Israel for many years, and Barak knows the Lord is with Deborah. And I'm thinking that maybe for him, taking Deborah with him is a sign that he's listening to the Lord, even if he is speaking for a woman. Deborah, assured of the Lord's victory, certainly, she certainly goes with him. She's a a prophet, but she's also a warrior. You know, she's a leader in this fight. She's happy to go to war. But even in this, she ensures that everyone will know that it's the Lord that brings the victory, not her, not the strength of Barak and his army, by prophesying that a mere woman will be responsible for the death of the powerful warrior and leader, Cesera. The honour of this will not go to a man. It's going to go to God. So how exactly does God do this? So the story I've just read you from chapter 4 certainly hints at what happens. But we don't really know the details of how God does that. It just says that the Lord routed them. The song of Deborah in chapter 5 gives us more details and we, we, we indicates in verses four and five that the Lord brings rain, probably a thunderstorm. Let's just look at that from, from chapter five. It says, when you, Lord, notice it's hit the Lord, went out from Seir, when you marched from the land of Edom, the earth shook, the heavens poured, the clouds poured down water, the mountains quaked before the Lord, the one of Sinai, before the Lord, the God of Israel. You know, that sounds like a storm to me. And with Cesare heading towards a river plain with a ton of ironclad chariots, I'm not sure that those wet and muddy conditions are going to work well for his army. And, And look at the language she uses. For Deborah, the storm is a clear indication of the Lord as a warrior going to war. Now, we can sometimes have issues with thinking of God in this way, a warrior God going into battle. We find ourselves asking, did Jesus ever go to war? How is this consistent with the nature of God as, as, as revealed by Jesus? He never picked up earthly weapons. He always told us to walk in peace. He told us to love our enemies and to pray for them. But friends, you know, that did not mean that he wasn't waging a war. The war, actually, actually. Jesus was waging a war against the principalities and powers of evil that rule this world. And like Deborah, a mother of Israel, he longed to save and protect his wayward children. In Luke 13, 34, he says this. He says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who sent you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her, chicks under her wings, and you were not willing like deborah he saw what he he did what he saw the father doing like deborah he listened to the lord's bidding and in obedience was willing to lead the battle lead the way and put himself on the front line but you know unlike deborah jesus the son of god took the punishment for the final and the decisive battle on himself taking all the enemy could throw at us When he died on the cross in order that ultimately when he rose again in glory, the victory belonged, still belongs, will always belong to the Lord. Death itself is defeated. And like Deborah, the victory of the Lord is what we love to sing about. We love to sing death is defeated. King Jesus is Lord. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Okay. So we have looked at. Deborah's various roles, and I said I would come back round to that 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 death, there is death at the hands of JL, whom God ensured was in the right place at the right time. Again, we run into territory that doesn't always sit well with those of us who love Jesus. When we read the story in chapter four, we could find ourselves saying, Well, the story tells us what actually happened, but does it really comment morally? on the events? Doesn't the Bible often tell us about behavior and events that the Lord doesn't approve of? It's true. It, it does. It does. But when it comes to chapter five, there's no denying the relish with which Deborah sings about this death. Let's have a look at it, shall we? This is what she says. She says, most blessed of women be Jael, the wife of he- Heba the Kenite. most blessed of tent dwelling women. He asked for water and she gave him milk. In a bowl fit for nobles, she bought him curdled milk. Her hand reached for the tent peg, her right hand for the workman's hammer. She struck Cesare. She crushed his head. She shattered and pierced his temple. At her feet, he sank. He fell. There he lay. At her feet, he sank. He fell. Where he sank, there he fell. Dead. I think... And I could be wrong. I think Deborah's relishing the death of Caesarea here. Jael's the most blessed of women. The details of the violence, the strikes, crushes, shatters, pierces his temple. And Deborah definitely seems to enjoy dwelling on where he's falling down dead. So how do we approach this? Well, this is hard. Honestly, this is justice the consequence of sin is oppression and sin's ultimate sentence is death. We see this time and time again in the Old Testament. Jesus did not do away with justice. Instead, he chose to receive the sentence that was pronounced over us for our sin on himself. That's God's mercy. But to understand the justice meted out here I would just really love to take this opportunity to give you a little bit of a female perspective on it. When we look a little bit more at the Song of Deborah, there's a part where Sisera's mother is looking out for his return. He's a little bit late. He hasn't come back. And she is being comforted by her ladies. And this is what they say. They say, are they not finding and dividing the spoils? A woman or two for each man, colourful garments as plunder for Sisera?" The women in this society are part of the plunder. Like a colourful or embroidered item of clothing, they're spoils to be won. You could have one, maybe even two each for each man. Wonderful, lovely objects to own and use as you see fit. This is one of the ways, just one of the ways in which Cesare has cruelly oppressed the Israelites, the mistreatment of women. Is there not it's a question, is there not a sense of justice in ending the life of a man who's mistreated God's people, putting many to shame, receiving what would have been considered a shameful death at the hands of a woman? I wonder what Jael, I wonder what JL, who's meant to be his ally, so she's hung around with him, I wonder what she has seen him do, I wonder what she has witnessed that causes her at this moment to have no hesitation in putting the tools that she has to hand. a tools that she's an expert at wielding. A, a peg and the hammer. To dispatch with Cesera so decisively. And completely. And I wonder if we ever consider putting the tools we have to hand. Our voices. Our votes. Our position and influence. To dispatching and doing away with injustice in our society. Do we take the opportunity to act when situations of injustice come knocking at our door you know I'd like you to just listen to this really inspiring story from George Kitchen one of our congregation at Southside this is what he posted on Facebook the other week he says this it's in his voice this is what he says two years ago whilst I was on furlough during COVID-19 I briefly worked for CBA Logistics, owners of WeBuyAnyCar.com, picking up and delivering cars. What I experienced was a company that was exploiting their workers by denying them worker status, falsely classifying them as self-employed so they could pay far below the national minimum wage and deny them holiday pay and sick pay. I had a full-time job to go back to after COVID, but there were thousands of drivers for whom this was their livelihood, and they were often being paid less than £5 an hour with zero employment protections that they were legally entitled to. After contacting journalists and relevant politicians to try to highlight the situation, I took the case to Lee Day, a law firm that specialised in this area, and we have spent two years building the case which was finally heard at tribunal in February 2023. Today it was ruled that BCAL did falsely classify their workers as self-employed and the judge ruled in favour of the drivers. 400 plus drivers will likely now be entitled to thousands in payback in the region of £10,000 for every year, worked Some may be in line for £100,000 plus and it's rightly deserved. The judgment will be incorporated into case law and therefore stands as a warning for any company that attempts to deny their workers the pay and rights they deserve in a similar manner that they will not be able to get away with it. And George says this, he says, why am I sharing this? He says, I'm sharing this because each day we see injustices all around us, and it can be easy to believe that it's just us, one person, against global powerful forces that are untouchable. He says, however, you can make a difference, he says. Each of us have unique skills and experiences that we can use to stand up to those that often can't stand up for themselves and change the world for good. And he ends with, fight the power. What an amazing story. George, bless him, he used the tools that he had to hand to dispatch with injustice where he saw it happening. So friends, what is God saying to us today? know, like the Israelites in the land of Canaan thousands of years ago, we live in a world where people have turned away from God and are bearing the consequences of that. We see inequality, suppression injustice mistreatment we see that constantly in the news and we also see the very real consequences of spiritual oppression of personal battles we find ourselves in battles with sin and addiction and unforgiveness you know what friends we are all ready in a battle whether we like it or not the question is whether or not we will take up the fight or choose to live as captives of the enemy now, is there a situation of injustice or oppression that God is putting on your heart today? And I just want to take a little bit of an opportunity to talk to our Hong Kong community here. Because I know that for many of you, you've come from a situation of really awful injustice, and that's why you've moved. And I really felt like what the Lord, I felt prophetically, what the Lord wants to say to you guys this morning is that don't feel guilty for moving out of that situation. Okay? Don't feel guilty for moving out of that situation. Because remember, in our story we've just read, why was Jael able to deal with Sisera? Because she moved. She moved. She moved from where she was and she moved her tent. And when she moved her tent, she was in the right time at the right place so that when she did deal with the injustice, it didn't put her own life at threat, okay? If she'd done something to Cesare where she was before, her life would have been at threat, okay? So I I really don't want you to feel, I think the Lord wants to do away with any shame or guilt about moving away from that situation of injustice. You've moved out, that's fine. The battle belongs to to the Lord, Okay, he doesn't want to put ourselves at, at, at threat in that. Barak and his army were willing to follow their leader, Deborah, into battle, even though the odds seemed stacked against them, trusting the Lord would fight for them. You know, are we willing to follow our leader, Jesus, into the battles that are facing us? And, you know, Jesus has already led the way and won the war through what was actually a really shameful death, a death that should have been ours. And I wonder, do we always trust that he will bring victory to us over our sins with his forgiveness and and freedom. And Andrew asked this question earlier, but have you actually taken that step of trust yourself and said, no, I do trust you, Jesus, that you died for me? Because if not, there is an opportunity to do that today. Let's just stand, shall we? Let's just stand if you're able to.